Lord, thank you for being the lover of our souls, that you gave Jesus for us, and that we can be cleansed and made whole, even though we are sinners. But you, God, but God, you stepped in, and you gave us your son, and you offered us salvation. And all we have to do is respond. I pray, Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, that our attitude of worship would continue, that our hearts and ears would be open to what you would speak to us. May your spirit be our teacher and our guide tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapters 1 and 2 of Judges, we basically got a little bit of a recap of the end of the book of Joshua with some of the land that they needed to take and um, where they had failed to do so and Joshua's death and then the unfaithfulness of Israel after Joshua and all the elders died. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you out of Egypt. I brought you the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Um, and he goes on, but you broke your covenant with me. Now I'm not going to drive the people out. They're going to be a thorn in your side to test you to see if you will obey me. And we're going to find out when we get to verse 7 that, boy, their obedience didn't last very long. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, the Canaanites, Sidonians, Hivites, that dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left, that he might test Israel by them, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And verse 6 is where it goes really bad. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. When we are back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God very specifically commanded the children of Israel, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. Is that conquering and utterly destroying? No. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. We know they had made a covenant with, um, oh, it leapt out of my brain. Who'd they make a covenant with? That's how prepared I am. But the people they made a covenant with. <laughs> that, was, that was several weeks ago. Um, wow, okay. Sorry, everybody online and listening to this later. This is going to drive me. Gideon, Gibeon, Gibeon, not Gideon. Gideon's a judge. The Gibeonites. The Gibeonites is who they made that covenant with. Right? Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For why? They will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. 
So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them, destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Here they dwelt among them instead of destroying them. Here they gave their daughters in marriage and took their, the other people's daughters in marriage. And what happened? They served their gods. They totally disregarded the commandment of God. And they did exactly what God told them not to do. Now, before we judge them too harshly, remember Romans chapter 7. Paul said, you know, the very thing that I want to do, well, that's the thing I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, that's the thing that I keep finding myself doing. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thank God. It's through Jesus Christ. They were warned, but they ignored the warning. And I don't think God warns us needlessly. I don't think God warns us because he knows what's coming. They were to be instruments of judgment for the horrible practices of people of the land. They failed to do that. And as a result, the consequences came upon them. We're going to see this. God's warning and God's law, his word, are for our benefit. When we ignore it, there will be consequences. When we obey God's law, like believing in Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, then there will be benefit. Now, I'm not saying life will always be perfect or we'll never have any problems. I'm just saying there's consequences for disobeying God. And there's benefit for obeying. Judge, number the first one, verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim. I practiced that. King of Mesopotamia and the children of Israel served Cushan Rithathaim. See, I had to brag about practicing it. They served him for eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kediaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over that guy. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Now we met Othniel. He went and got a city in order to get Kenaz, uh, or not, uh, Caleb's uh, daughter in marriage. Kenaz was Caleb's brother. Uh, so we talked about him. Uh, this guy rises up. Now I want you to take note of how long they served him. Because they served him for eight years. And then the land had rest for 40 years. Pay attention to those two numbers. How long they serve somebody and how long the land has rest as we progress through tonight. Uh, now, I do want to bring up one thing before we move on to Ehud. And Ehud is a good account. And that is that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And this is kind of foreign to us because they had a different relationship with the Holy Spirit than we do. Back then, uh, if you remember David in, in a, uh, Psalm 51, after his sin with Bathsheba, he prayed that the Lord would not take his Holy Spirit from him. Here, when uh, uh, Othniel 
needed to overcome this, this foreign king who was oppressing the people, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That means that the Spirit of the Lord was not a permanent resident in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord was promised in Joel chapter 2. We see the fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2. But we, as believers in Christ, have a different relationship with the Holy Spirit than they did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon you, you'd do whatever it was that God wanted you to do, and then apparently, well, the Spirit would you know, go home or whatever, wherever the Holy Spirit goes when he's not working. Um, but it's different in the church. Today, there are three phases of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The first is he comes alongside us to be with us and lead us to Christ. In the Greek, it's the word para, P-A-R-A, and you can find that in John 14, 17. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, then the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the presence and power of God in us at all times. And we can spend a lot of time talking about all the things the Holy Spirit does for us, like interceding for us in Romans chapter 8, teaching us also in John chapter 14. Um, but the Spirit living in us is denoted by the Greek word en, E-N, and you can find that in John 14 also, verses 16 through 17, and then verse 23. Finally, the Holy Spirit comes upon us to empower us for life and service to God through Christ. That's the Greek word epi, E-P-I, epi, and you find that in Acts 1-8. This is all possible through a relationship with God through Christ, something that they didn't have available quite yet, right? They, they were looking forward to the coming of Messiah, but he hadn't come yet. And then, of course, this was fulfilled or began its fulfillment in truth on the day of Pentecost when the church was first filled with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the promise of Joel chapter 2. And so the land had rest for 40 years, and this is the first of the cycle. They abandon God, right? They do evil in his sight. They are oppressed by some foreign king, they cry out to God, and God delivers them, and as soon as that judge dies, they go right back into their city. We may get to the place, and I'm just going to throw this out there, we may get to the place where we say, what is the matter with these people? Right? Why won't they learn? I imagine God says the same thing about me. Not you guys, you guys are great, but I'm sure he says the same thing about me. What is wrong with you? I've already taught you this lesson. And, well, so let's not be too hard on the Israelites. Let's learn from them. Verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. That's Jericho, by the way. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Last time they served eight years. This time they served 18. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, verse 15, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, or Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man, by him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Um, so, left-handed Benjamite. And we actually find out a little later on that most of the Benjamites were left-handed. 
And as such, they were quite skilled with uh, slingshots back then, uh, which would have been really interesting because they could have held a sword in one hand and a slingshot in the other, um, being left-handed. I don't know. But they insisted on pointing it out. Uh, at this point, they talk about Amalek. Amalek was supposed to be completely destroyed already. And they didn't do it. Later on, God commands Saul to do it. And he fails to do it. He leaves Agag, the king, alive. And all of that, of course, sets up the book of Esther. Because Haman, the man who sought to destroy the Israelites while they were in captivity in, uh, in Babylon and Persia at that time, um, was a descendant of Malik, or Amalek. He's called Haman the Agagite. He was a direct descendant of Agag. We know... We see often that Amalek is a type of the flesh, as we talked about last week. Romans 13, 14 tells us, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Right? They, they were supposed to wipe out the Amalekites. They failed to do so. Now they're being a problem. What happens when we don't put on the Lord Jesus and we instead make provision for our sinful flesh to act up? Right? It doesn't work. Not well, anyway. One last thing before we move forward. Talk about the land of Moab here. The land of Moab was Reuben's land. So this was Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob. His failure to drive the people out of the land. Verse 16. This is where this, this it just gets good. So, uh, oh, one more thing. Tribute. Uh, usually when you conquer the people, tribute was basically like taxes. Verse 16. So Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length, so an 18-inch long dagger, give or take. And he fastened it, fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh because he was left-handed. It doesn't say that, but that would have been the reason. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. No, Eglon was a very fat man. Thanks for the commentary. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence, right? He didn't want everybody else to hear this secret message. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. Not a good message. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Now, an 18-inch long dagger, I'm guessing the handle another four or five inches? So you're talking almost a two-foot dagger went all the way in, the fat closed over it. So when the Bible says he was a very fat man, the it's not joking, he was a very fat man. Verse 23, Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. This is my favorite part. <laughs> when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, He is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. In other words, uh, he was going to the bathroom. 
So they waited till they were embarrassed. They're like, uh, King, how long does that take? And still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah, or Sirah, I should say. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued under the, or that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So they do get a longer rest period, but notice it went from a period of eight years of subjugation to 18 years. Uh, now we get Shamgar. Poor Shamgar only gets one verse. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anak who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Now, an ox goad is an interesting tool. It was a beam of wood up to six inches thick, right? And it had to be long, because if you're whacking an ox with it, you didn't want to get too close. And on the end, it would have a metal spike, because oxes have thick hides. And so when you were trying to get your ox and he would listen, you'd swing this thing. Now, to swing it 600 times and kill 600 men with it, Shamgar was, he was beefy, is my guess. But he delivered Israel. Uh, it's interesting, ox goads are mentioned multiple times throughout the Bible, but when Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the goad. Because by that time, they had carts that the oxes would pull. So they would actually put the spikes on the front of the cart. So if the ox kicked backwards, well, it would learn not to do that. And that's what Paul was doing. He was kicking against the Holy Spirit, goading him into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, you know, we all know what happens. Paul got saved. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hegoyim. I didn't practice that one. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So eight, 18, now 20. It's going to keep getting longer. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river, Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak, being the brave man that he was, said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. I love this. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Love it. We'll come back to that. 
And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, or Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Heresheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. There's too many names in the book of Judges. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heresheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Now we're going to get back to Sisera since he ran away. So, Israel, this is really interesting. Israel had already cleared out this area of Hazor. But apparently, either A, they hadn't cleared anyone out, or B, they allowed them back in, which boggles the mind. And that led them to becoming powerful again and then ruling over them for 20 years. So we get to the first female judge, Deborah. She calls Barak, not Obama, to go up against Sisera, the commander of Jabin's military, military for Canaan. And I absolutely love this. Barak says, well, I'm not, I'm not going unless you go with me. Deborah says, fine, I'll go with you. But you're not going to get any glory for this. It's going to be told that a woman will get credit for the victory. And in their culture, that was a big deal. Once victory is achieved, by God's grace, of course, the Sisera flees. There's a couple interesting things to point out. Uh, they had chariots of iron, which would be today's equivalent of a tank. You know, if you have tanks going to battle and the other people don't have tanks, you're probably going to do pretty well. Uh, back then, if you had chariots of iron and the other people had, you know, spears and swords, you just run people over. It really wasn't that uh, big of a fight. But we're going to talk about in chapter 5 what happened to the chariots of iron. It's kind of cool. So 20 years, I already mentioned this, the uh, time of oppression is increasing. Uh, and then very interestingly enough, 11 and 12, Heber, of the children of Moses' father-in-law, Hobab, or Jethro, he settled away from the rest of the Kenites, but he's the one that went and warned Sisera that Barak was coming up with his army. He betrayed his people. Just... Not a nice thing to do. Now we get to verse 17. So, you know, chapter 4 is about girl power, folks. That's all there is to it. Because first we get Deborah, and now we get to talk about Joab. Verse 17. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. So, not only is, is, is Jael a woman, she's the wife of the guy who betrayed Israel. Right? So keep that in mind. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you, and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. 
in jail, Peter's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and it went down into the ground. Now, I've, I've driven like tent stakes into the ground before, but this would have been an iron spike, probably eight, 10 inches long, because our heads are a good six inches wide. And so in order for it to go all the way through and into the ground, A, big tent peg. B, don't mess with jail. Man, she had to be a tough old bird. Well, maybe she wasn't old, but she had to be a pretty tough lady to, to be able to do that. I love that scene. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So I just, I love this. Her husband betrays Israel. She fixes it. God delivered Moab into their hand. No, it was at Moab, right? God delivered them into their hand. And she takes care of Jael, gives him a warm glass of milk, covers him up with a blanket, and then stabs him through the temple with a tent peg and a hammer. So here's the question we have to ask. Was Jael deceitful? Did she lie to him? Maybe she thought he was just stopping by. He clearly knew who she was. She clearly knew who he was. But maybe... She led him into the tent, he fell asleep, and then realized that Sisera had lost the battle, and she wanted to get on the winning side. It's also possible that she lied to him and lured him into a false sense of security so she could kill him, because she knew her husband betrayed the Israelites. I don't know. Whatever it was, I think it's cool. You know, and, and people always talk about, I want a biblical wife, and immediately they turn to Proverbs 31, and Proverbs 31 is a great chapter. When I say I want a biblical wife, I want my wife to drive a tent peg through the temples of my enemies. I don't have any enemies, so it's really not a big deal. But I'm just saying, if it ever came up, that could also define a biblical wife. Chapter 5. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying. So this is the song of Deborah that she sang along with Barak. Uh, and it encompasses verses 2 through 31. And so we'll start moving through. It's a cool thing. When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. And I love this. Notice what it says. When leaders lead and when people willingly offer themselves, and that's so cool. We live in a day and age where leaders are afraid to lead because they might get sued. Or leaders are afraid to lead because they might offend somebody. But God calls people to leadership and they need to lead. Right? Then we get to people who need to be willing to offer themselves. Now, in this case, it was literally going to war. But what about just giving yourselves over to serving God? 
to loving him, following him, and serving him in the way he's called you to. That's what we're supposed to do. He says, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord God of Israel. Verse 4. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. And so we have in these verses a description of the power of God, that the earth trembled and the heavens poured out when God marched. But then we also see how careful the people were. The highways were deserted. Travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. The people were afraid as they were being oppressed. So they weren't out doing what they would normally do. We're going to see that again with Gideon. He's threshing wheat in the wine press to hide it because he doesn't want his, his grain stolen. But that's what's going on here as well. Now the second half of verse, Sebra, or verse 7, verse Sebra, verse 7, until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So Deborah arises among the, as a mother in Israel. They had chosen new gods, and as a result, they had no weaponry to fight back. Verse 9. Now this, we're going to take a big clip here. My heart is with the rulers of Israel, who offered themselves willingly with the people, bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Machir rulers came down, and from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, as Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds? To hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Gilead refers to the the uh, uh, tribes that stayed on the other side, the half-tribe of Manasseh and um, the other two that I can't remember. Man, I'm getting old. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued on the seashore and stayed by its inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. So this is a really interesting section. So there were these people that sat by. She speaks of the rulers, the judges, the people who were riding on white donkeys, the people who were far away from the sound of the archers, right? They're like, oh, you know, we, you know we're important. We're not going to go to war. Not everybody. Some of the leaders stepped up. They went with the people to the battle. But some of them were like, well, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to get involved in that. We might get in trouble. Then she talks about um, the tribes that went to war, like Ephraim 
and Benjamin and Zebulun. And she talks about Issachar. She talks about the willingness of Reuben to go. But then she gets into those who refused to go. They stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Or Zebulun, uh, they jeopardized their lives while Dan remained on their ships and Asher remained by the seashore. And so on one hand, she's chastising the leaders and the tribes that refused to go out to battle. On the other hand, she's praising the tribes and the leaders who put themselves at risk to fight for Israel. Verse 19. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Ta'anach by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. And verse 21 is really interesting. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded. The galloping, galloping of his steeds cursed Miraz said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So um, recognizing the place of God in their victory, which of course was very interesting or very important. What's interesting is verse 21. Remember when I talked about the chariots of iron and how they defeated them? Well, verse 21 gives us a key. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. Apparently, God brought some kind of flood that made the ground muddy. And it doesn't matter how great your chariot is if it can't move. Uh, so it would appear that that's one of the things God did to deliver them. Uh, then there's a curse on Miraz, a city. Uh, we actually don't know where it's at, but she apparently didn't like them. Uh, there is such a difference between... Um, Right, these the cities and the people who didn't help and those who did. Right, it's the same for us. God tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, like in the book of James. God wants us to be active, to show our faith by our works. For those who hear and don't do, uh, well, it's not going to turn out the way we think it will. And I think that's something we can apply from all those verses. Verse 24. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. I said stank. Sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Oh, I love that. Just a rehearsal of what Jael did to kind of put an end to that whole battle. Verse 28. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? So the mother of Sisera looking out the window going, When is my son going to come home? Her wisest ladies, they answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. So I am not sure why Deborah said this. 
All right, I, I can't go to Moses. To me, it feels like she's mocking Sisera's mother. Now, I could be wrong, right? I'm not saying that is what she's doing, but that's what it feels like to me. Oh, Sisera's mother's going, where is he at? And they're all convinced that he's just gathering up the plunder, grabbing a couple slave girls, right? They were gonna, he's going to be home any minute, but he's not. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in its full strength. I'm not exactly sure Deborah's motivation, and I'm not going to presume upon it. Um, this is, of course, the word of God, so this was inspired by the Holy Spirit through Deborah, who we know was a prophetess as well as a judge. Uh, but it ends with a prayer that God's enemies would be destroyed. And when, he, when she talks about let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in its full strength, right? Let the enemies be destroyed. Let those who follow the Lord be strong, is essentially what that's saying. And the land had rest for 40 years. Got through that quicker than I thought. Now, before we close, uh, well, as we close, I should say, next week we'll get into the account of Gideon in chapters 6 through 8. And I'm looking forward to talking about Gideon. Um, so cool. But what I want to bring up as we close is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. It says this, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. These things happened to them as an example to us. As we read about these things in the Old Testament, we should be learning from them, we should be admonished by them, so we don't commit the same mistake. And something that a lot of people tend to do, and not everybody, probably not anybody in this room, but something that a lot of people, well, I don't, I don't worship idols. All right, I, I don't have a little statue in my house that I bow down to. You, you know, I don't go out into the forest for some kind of pagan orgy to worship a false god. I don't do that. Right? Well, the, the thing of it is, well, the false gods just look different in our day. Yeah, the ones presented in Judges, they made little statues of wood or gold or silver. They made Asherah poles, right? They would take a tree and strip it down and decorate it and and do all kinds of horribly lewd things around it, right? Maybe we don't do that. But are, are plenty of people still bow down to false gods today? Maybe those gods are money. Maybe those gods are a career. Maybe those gods are another person or a relationship. Um, I don't know. But it doesn't change that we have a choice just like they did. We can believe in, follow, and serve Jesus, obeying his word by the power of the Holy Spirit, or we can choose some other path. If we choose another path, we will, just like Israel, suffer the consequences for it. When we choose to follow the Lord, we will reap the benefits of that choice. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the examples you've given us in your word, examples you've taught us so that we don't make the same mistakes. And I just pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom 
and guidance, that you would give us strength like the sun as we follow your son, that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord. Thank you for his presence with us at all times. Just give us power and grace so we can live the lives that you've called us to live and bring you glory. I pray, God, as we continue throughout our week that you would bless us, that you would watch over us and keep us. In Jesus' name.